Um, so where we are in Scripture in, uh, John, in Mark chapter 6, uh, Jesus has just done one of uh, the most well-known miracles, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. 5,000 men plus whatever uh, ladies were there, whatever kids were around them, and fed them from the lunch of one boy. Um, there was tension in the story. The disciples thought that feeding everyone was a bad idea, that it was going to require too much money, at least the way that they had strategized things. Um, it was going to be an administrative nightmare for them. It was an impossible task, but Jesus showed them that he had everything under control. He loved and loves taking the impossible and making it a compassionate reality. And he wants to do that in my life. He wants to do that in your life where we see things as there's no way. There's no way that that could happen. There's no way this dream that I have or, or this thing we've got to overcome, this debt load that we're under, whatever it is, this big problem, this addiction that I've got, you just think there's just no way. Well, God loves taking what we think is impossible and making it a compassionate reality. Let me read to you guys, and you all follow along with me, Mark uh, 6, 45 to 56, and let's talk further in the story of what happened immediately after that. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when, every, and when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray, guys. God, thanks for your word. Uh, it's the most pure part of, um, of this message, Lord, most pure part of our service when we gather together. Lord, when, when we read your words, when we proclaim what you've already said, we know it's anointed, God. And uh, so we point to you, we point to your words, and right now we want to break it down. Uh, we want to go a little deeper, Father, maybe some things that maybe don't even show up all that well in the English, or maybe some background things, some contextual things. Um, but Lord, we, we don't just need information um, we don't just need one more data point in a story we know well. What we need is transformation. And that's something I cannot do. I can't do it in me. I can't do it in front of my, my friends. They're here. This family that we are, uh, sojourn, my brothers, my sisters, Lord, these adults, these students, these kids. Holy Spirit, I rely on you. And I ask you right now in the, whole, in the name of Jesus Holy Spirit, would you come and work among us? In fact, just stop for just a minute and for yourself and for those that are in here and any who listen to this in the future, just stop and just ask God to do what only he can do. 
do that for a second. God, I lay myself out as, as just a pipe, just a vessel. Um, I don't want to clog things up. I don't, I don't want it to be about what comes out of me, Lord, from, from me, Lord, but what comes through me, Lord, from you. And uh, I, I pray and just implore my friends who are here as well that they would even pray for me to be, a, to be a pure vessel, Lord, by which you speak to us, that you speak to our church. Speak to us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this first little part here, you guys. Um, immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to, to pray. So, guys, there's thousands of people that are, that are near the shore of this lake that's called the Sea of Galilee. All right? Now, verse 34, a little bit earlier, if you want to look back at that, says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Do you see that right there? He went ashore, saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd and began to teach them many things. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that again, but it's powerful. It's very powerful that God sees us in our weakness and then he responds to us by speaking his word to us. Don't miss that, you guys. I mean, so he taught them until it was late in the day. He, he, fed them, he fed them spiritually before he fed them physically. We need, we need God and his word and his words to us. We need him to speak to us, to our hearts, to our souls, to our agendas, way before we need him to be the provider that provides all the other things that we have in our life. But he did feed them physically. He fed them miraculously. He does care about who we are, not only spiritually, but who we are um, materially, um, who we are in, in our bodies. Um, there were 12 baskets of food that were left over, um, and that was strategic to feed who? Yeah, the 12 disciples. Um, so that's been done, and now it's late. The sun may or may not have already gone down at this point. At some point pretty soon, the sun is, is going to be down. So it's late. Everybody's tired. Uh, the crowd's about to be told to go home. And Mark gives us a word that he, uh, he uses often in this letter, uh, the, the book of Mark. And it's immediately. This word immediately. Mark uses the, actually it's the, the Greek word that's behind the word immediately 42 times. Um, and so he's, there's a sense of urgency that he's giving to us here. There's an intentionality behind this of what's the immediately about. He said immediately told him to go. Immediately. Jesus was a phenomenal leader, you guys. He did everything on purpose. And he finished one part of the mission, and now he's going to teach his men something else. It's like, okay, guys, you're finished eating. It's time to go now. Time to go. So he says, y'all get in the boats, and y'all head over there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. That phrase, he made his disciples get into the boat, is interesting it actually means he, he made them. <laughs> um, it, it wasn't just, hey, all right, it's time. It's on our agenda, schedule time. It's now it's time for you guys to go. It wasn't just a suggestion. Hey, guys, in the next, in the next hour or two, if y'all go, just go ahead and clean up and, and pack things. It says that he made them do it. The coloring of the word used 
used there is it describes it as it was necessary. What he did, it was compelled. It was forced. And what this does is it gives us some insight to the mood that's going on with him and the disciples. All right, you're going to get a little bit more in just a little while, but you already know uh, based on what we just said. And if you're in the teaching last time that the guys had trouble with this, they had some difficulties. There was tension going on between the disciples and Jesus. Even after the miracle, these guys are still upset. They're still upset about some things. All right. Now, they may not have been grumbling with their mouths. They probably were at least a little yak, yak to each other. But at least they were grumbling in their hearts. And so he tells them this. He says, y'all go ahead. I'll join you later. And so he sends them on. And then Jesus, he dismisses the crowd at, at that point. We don't know how long it took. It doesn't really matter. But then don't miss what is next. After all that, after that very, very long day, he goes alone to spend time in prayer. A quick leadership principle here, you guys. If you lead many people, you better get away to pray. Let me say it a different way. If you lead any people, you better get away and pray. We're talking about a couple of disciplines here. We're talking about the discipline of prayer. We're also talking about the discipline of solitude, of being alone. Because we're supposed to pray. We pray together. We prayed together earlier. I mean, we prayed together just a, a couple moments ago, though it was silent. We prayed together. Hopefully you pray, you know, pray and ask God to bless your meals. You know, um, thank him for your meals. You pray as a family. Um, but you need to, and I need to get alone with God in prayer. But it's not just about me praying to him. Because prayer actually is about me talking to God. But what solitude does is it's a time where you listen as well. And that's what Jesus was doing. It was a conversation that was going on between him and his, his, fa- his father. He went, he'd be alone, and he was talking to his father, and his father, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to him as well. Listen, when is the last time that you took to get alone with, to pray and listen and didn't rush it? Not necessarily the last time you Got alone to pray. But when's the last time that you just said, all right, I'm, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to give actual time to this. Some of you guys need to get your calendar out right now. Get your phones out. And here's, here's a template for you. I mean, I, I'd, I'd say this. Start, start with an hour. Set aside an hour. All right? Look, look ahead this week, next week, whatever it is. Find an hour. If you've, if you've not done this in a long time or never done this even. And there's three things that I want to challenge you with. First of all, write out your primary relationships. Secondly, write out your primary responsibilities. And third, write out your pressing issues that are going on right now in your life. Okay? Now, this is a, just a template. This is not magic. This is not all-inclusive. This is a great way to, to start this, especially if, if you're rusty or have never done this before. It's get away. Get away and just write down or type it out, but just to where you can look at it. Just say, just say, all right, here, here are my primary relationships God's given me. Here are the primary responsibilities that I have. And here are the pressing issues that I have before, before God. And, and then just start talking to God about them. Look at it. And just, I mean, you can start with your primary relationships with uh, if you want. Or you can start wherever you want on there. Just start talking to God about those things. 
Don't miss this part, though. Make sure you stop and listen. Make sure you just say, all right, God, I, I want to tune into your voice. Tell me what I need to know. What do I need to do next? What do I need to do next in my primary relationships? What do I need to do next in my primary responsibilities? What do I need to do next in these pressing issues? And just so you know, um, I mean, I'll let the cat, cat out of the bag. Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. He gets back into community. You're not supposed to live your life in solitude. God has called us not only to Jesus, but to community as well as mission. And so these are things that are so very good to then walk out with those that you're walking life with. Those that, if you're in a, a journey group in this church, to where you just say, to your group, or maybe you get together with a couple of ladies or a couple of the men uh, for lunch or something like that, you say, you know what, Here's, here are my primary relationships, primary responsibilities, and pressing issues in my life. And, and I'm listening to the Lord, but I, 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 need some, I need some input as well because I don't always see things clearly. And so you walk it out in community. I'm telling you, if you give... If you give an hour for that, you will do it again. You will. You'll want to. So go for it. I'd say, all that said, please note this. Like I said, Jesus did not stay on the mountain. The intimacy with his father led him back into community on mission. You hear me? This intimacy with his father through the Holy Spirit that he spent time with, led him right back into community on mission. For us, we draw near to Jesus. He gives us the discernment we need to be in community on mission. Verse 47. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night came to them Walking, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. Now, verse forty-seven it shows that shows that while while Jesus was praying, he saw their distress. Did, did you hear me there? While Jesus, I mean, maybe, maybe he's up on the mountain, he's able to see down down there. He sees them in distress while he's in the middle of 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 this relationship with his Father through the Holy Spirit, praying. He sees what's going on down there. He saw, as it says, that they were making headway painfully. Guys, your struggle is not missed by God. The stuff that you're walking through, God sees it. I mean, even even when it's not severe problems that you have, life is just difficult, isn't it? Isn't it? I saw a Facebook post by, by Matt Winstead, one of our sojourners, just this past Friday, and it said this, it said, uh, work shouldn't be easy. And I, this guy, he's a, a VP at a, at a, a pretty, pretty uh, good-sized company here in town. He says, work shouldn't be easy. If it's easy, you're not pushing hard enough. Go hard or go home, is what he said. And then he quoted Genesis 3 about how cursed is the ground because of you and pain you'll eat of it. You know, I mean, life is just difficult, even when you don't have monumental problems in front of you, right? All right? And then sometimes, then it's just stormy as well. Max Licato said this uh, in a book, book called A Gentle Thunder, Hearing God Through the Storm. He said, Mark tells us that during the storm, Jesus saw his followers struggling. Through the night, he saw them. Through the storm, he saw them. And like a loving father, he waited. 
He waited until the right time, until the right moment. He waited until he knew it was time to come, and then he came. What made it the right time? I don't know. Why was the ninth hour better than the fourth or the fifth? I can't answer that. Why does God wait until the money's gone? Why does he wait until the sickness had lingered? Why does he choose to wait until the other side of the grave to answer the prayers for healing? I don't know. I only know his timing is always right. I can only say he will do what is best. And he quotes Luke 18, 17. God will always give what is right to his people who cry to him night and day, and he will not be slow to answer them. Guys, it's a faith thing. To be able to say, God, I I trust you as being a, a good God who sees me. And at the right time, he, he shows up. Now, he's already there. But in, in our mind and in our experience, you know, the rescue, the rescue comes or the intervention comes in our life. And, and again, we don't know. We don't know why he chooses the time he does. But he does choose a time. He's there. He's there with us. Guys, when you look at the actions and words of Jesus here, we don't need to just... Just look at what he did, because first of all, what a hero he is, just to know he sees you. This is great news, and he loves you. But there is something that's being modeled here. In fact, um, just a, a Bible study technique for you when you're reading through the Bible, is, and you're reading through the Bible, and you're reading Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. Ask yourself, what is Jesus modeling for me here? Okay? And... A lot of the times, you will see when Jesus says something or does something, he's modeling something for us, for our own lives to do. There's other things he does that it's just God. I mean, it's just, it's just going to be his deal. But ask yourself, is there anything that the God-man, because his whole purpose was he was living out the perfect Christian life. You know that, right? You know that what he was doing is he was walking out the life we'll never, li- we'll never completely live But still, it's a model for us to say this is how we can live through the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I think here is a good example to say, what is God, what is Jesus modeling for us? What's he modeling for us here? And see, what we see is he's praying. He was doing a, 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 it was a priestly duty. A priest is one who kind of stands in a gap between God and man. And, and, and there were priests in the Old Testament that they were the ones that, that they became the ones by which grace and forgiveness much came through them. And then Jesus came and became the high priest by which there was no need for any other priest for us to go through. We can just go straight to him. But still, God calls us to be priestly, that, that we're ones that we stand in the gap for one another. It's like, all right, God, this is my friend. This is my brothers, my sisters, my, my, my son or my daughter, my wife, and what they're going through. And God, I, I, want, I want to kind of stand in the gap. It's kind of the picture by which I'm, I've got a hand linking to them, and, and I'm reaching out to you here, Lord, and I'm asking you, asking you to bless them, all right? So prayer is one of the best ways to do that. And so when you press into prayer for others, there are times that God gives insight into their lives. Did you, you hear me? When you're standing in the gap for someone else, there are times in which God is going to give you insight to the people that God's placed around 
around your life. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that this means that God will always tell you what, what, what's the answer for their conundrum. Um, there are times that he'll do that. But more likely, God will alert you to their neediness. Or that they're in pain. Or you don't know what's up, but you know you need to press in. Has anyone said to you, you've been on my mind, I've been praying for you, is there anything going on that I can help with? Is there anything I can do to serve you? And you're, just, you're like, holy mackerel, the timing is unbelievable because you haven't, you haven't shared what it is that you're going through that day or that week or that month. And God just places it on somebody's mind because they're praying for you. This is a part of the cohesiveness that God wants to have within, within the body of Christ. That's what he, he wants to see in a, in a microcosm in congregations like Sojourn Church. That, that man, we're, we're, we're linked together and we're praying for one another. Because like I said, there are times when God will give a tremendous word of wisdom or knowledge that will be, it'll be um, cohesive with uh, the Bible, be congruent with what the Bible has to say. But more likely than not, it's just going to be a thing of like, I see. I see that my friend's struggling. Um, one of the saddest things is, is when in my life or within a church, you look around and people, they just don't even see. And it's maybe because of isolation. It may be because of masks that we're wearing. It could be just because of apathy and we just don't care. And we, so we're not seeing what people, what the others are walking through. But prayer is something that changes and community to press in and just say, you know what? I mean, it, just to be honest, just to be able to say, you know what? I, I hadn't done all that great of a job of caring for you. Please forgive me. What can I do how, to serve you? How can I love you better? And just kind of back up and start over again. And so I, I, I give that to us, as, even as a church, to be able to, to quickly confess that to one another. Say, you know what? I know that I hadn't pressed in the way I'm supposed to. I hadn't cared the way I'm supposed to. Will you help me with that? And, uh, and we press we press in more. And certainly in prayer, God God helps us with that. Um, Carly Proctor, I, I think, is an example of this. Uh, this is the preemie daughter of Rachel and Robert, who are part of this church. Uh, prayed for her a couple of weeks ago uh, in here. Um, she was born under severe distress. She was in uh, the neonatal ICU and weren't sure if she was going to make it. And many, many of you and, and others have been stirred to pray for this little girl. And she's doing remarkably better. She's doing so much better. She's stabilized and hopefully will be going home with mom and dad in about a week or two. And there was an update on Facebook even this morning which says, thanks to everyone who's been asking about Carly, it means so much to us to know that people care. That's case in point right there. So after a couple of days without much to report, we're finally making some progress. Carly's pressure on her CPAP went down to 5 yesterday and to 4 this afternoon. Her oxygen is down to 21%, which my understanding is that's air. That's, that's the air level. Of, it's got 21% air in there. Her settings are as low as they can go, so we're expecting her to be off the CPAP in the next few days. She also reserved her fir- received her first bottle feeding today. And I was able to give her a bath this morning. There's a few other things that she says in there. Just, I mean, God's doing a great thing because God's good and he's choosing to do that. But part of it is because you've been stirred to pray. And you've been praying and you've been stirred to love on them. 
and even loving on them. I know there's a meal train. I have no idea where, where that's at. And if we need some injection and need some more people, uh, please, do we need some more? Okay, we need some more people on that meal train. Um, uh, just raise your hand, Megan. Uh, see Megan uh, if you want to be able to help them out because uh, it's still a pretty difficult process right now for them. Um, but just to be able to practically to, to love them. Um, part of the reason I mentioned that is, is for the first 10 days after she was born, I woke up between 3.30 and 4.30 with her on, her, on my mind. And I know Danielle said the same thing at a diff- different time that God kept doing that to just pray. And, and what's beautiful is God does that. God does that with people that are supposed to live life together. God does that. And uh, just ask for God to, to do that. And maybe if you're in a place right now, you're just like, you know what? I don't know there's really anybody right now that, that I've got that with. Then ask God. Ask God for who, especially within a church, who. And, and if you're not in a, a group, that, start there. Get, jump into a group and start to get to know these strangers who are actually family. Um, so when others are in kind of the fourth watch, now by the way, that meant 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., when others are struggling with life, listen, don't try to be the Savior. Don't try to be their Savior. Do tell them that Jesus is the Savior. And then do whatever Jesus says for you to do to serve them. Now, this wasn't the first time Jesus walked on the waters. I found this really neat passage that I think connects well with this in Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And Job in here, this is, is one of the places where he just goes on and on about the sovereignty of God and his providence, the way he provides for things and protects, protects things. And he, he said this uh, in here. He said, Job answered and said, Truly I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him at once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? Now that connects. Who, he who removes mountains and they know it not, he who overturns them in anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, and check this out, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Now, I mean, that's poetic in the way that it's talking about God and, and the one being in control of, of the sea. And yet, I just, I just, think, this is my, my thought, I, I don't think this is the first time that Jesus walked on the water. I think Jesus probably enjoyed it. And, and uh, for those of you guys who are fishermen or out in a boat and all that, I, I think, just know that, I mean, Jesus, you're not alone when you're out off from land, man. Jesus, Jesus is with you, whether he's walking on the water or not. Um, there's a curious phrase in here that says, he meant to pass them by. He meant to pass them by. And, and the way that it's worded, originally there's, there's some ambiguity of exactly what it's supposed to mean. And so it's, it's a curious phrase that's in them. It, it could be just as straight up as, all right, he was, if they didn't say anything, then he was just going to, going to go on past them. Of course, he knew what they were going to do. So um, he knew he was going to stop. Um, but... He, uh, he, uh, he was going to pass them by. He told them to go before him, and, and that means he was going to come to. And he decided to take a shortcut across the water. I think that's fantastic, rather than 
walking on the beach, the beach line. And so he's just walking out and they guys, they freak out. And he had compassion on them. And he told them the reason they shouldn't fear. We'll come back to that in just a second. He could have passed them by, but he didn't. And I think, I think there's some theological clues that are in this. And so just go with me for, for a minute. Um, not necessarily this is stating this itself, but just the whole idea of when you're in a storm, that God can go by you. When you're in a place of brokenness, then God could go by, by you, that God doesn't owe it to anyone to stop and to save or rescue or anything, that he could, he could go by them, could go by us. Christians, listen to me, God could have passed me by and he could have passed you by. He could have left us in our sin and in our self-focused misery, but he did not. And like the disciples, you did not fully see him until he called your name and he came near. And we praise Him for that. We praise God for that. He could have walked right by me in my sin. But He didn't. And though I had my ideas, and other, if you're one of our unbelieving friends, you know, you've got your ideas of spirituality, who God might be, who Jesus might be. And, and uh, like they said, He was a phantasm. He was a ghost. They thought He was that. It's like people have wrong ideas of who the real God is. God has mercy where he comes and just says, no, it's me. It's not this that you think or this that you think. It's me. I'm Jesus. No, it's not this way. It's not this way. It's not this way. It's me. I am the way. And he's so compassionate that he shows up and reveals that to the hearts of sinners like he did to me and like he wants to do in your family and in your friends and your colleagues, people in class with you. He wants to do this and we'll do it. Unbelieving friends, if you're here or listening to this sometime in the future, life is very hard. Jesus sees you in your boat. Listen to him call your name and know that the courage you want and the peace you want and the purpose in life that you want is found only in placing your life in his hands. Do you feel that tug in your heart right now? That's God. It's the Holy Spirit. Respond to him even right now. Verse 49. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid. There's some friends that you have, um, or maybe even you, that doubt miracles that are listed in the Bible. They say that some say we misinterpret the disciples, uh, the folks that would be called liberal theologians, people that say that they're Christians, but they don't believe the Bible, which I really just don't, I, I don't get that at all. But you got some that they're just like, well, no, there was no miracles. There was, there was no miracles. And, and some, some would say Jesus was just walking along the beach. He's walking along, along the, the shoreline. That's ridiculous. There's just no way. I mean, it said that they all saw and they were all terrified. Now, why in the world would you be terrified of somebody walking down the beach in the middle of the night? No, they're terrified because somebody's walking on the water towards you, or at least near you. They thought it was a ghost. Now, I don't have time to unpack superstition uh, with you, 
Uh, if you want more information about superstition, uh, but this was a superstitious thought that they that they had. I know Jeremiah ten two um, is part of what uh, opens us up to understanding this. Th- thus says the Lord. Don't learn the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. That basically kind of says, all right, with whatever, whatever generation you're in, whatever country you're in, whatever kind of culture you're in, there's going to be superstitions. There's going to be thoughts of how life is to, is to be led and, and walked out that don't, are not congruent with the Bible. And said, so don't, be, don't be dismayed by all of that. And don't, don't feel like you've got to let that stuff stick on you. And, and a quick question for you guys, really probably to go before God in prayer, is to ask, what have we been taught? Or what have we, um, what have we kind of absorbed from culture that can steal our peace when we're in a storm? What are the things that, that we think that we've been taught or, or just through osmosis, well, the TV that we've watched it's just it's kind of this is the way the world lives, but it's not it's not the biblical worldview. Just ask yourself that, and maybe that's something to unpack with a friend. Like, man, I want to want to find out where I am with that. But in the middle of this, it said immediately he spoke to them and said, "Take heart, it's I. Don't be afraid, folks. When when you're afraid, Jesus speaks to you." Take your mind off the ghost or off whatever it is that you think is either the real answer or the real problem and listen to his voice. Take heart. That, that word heart here, it means courage. Take courage. I mean, he's telling, look, I'm offering you courage. Take it. All right? He's saying to us today, and he'll say this to us this week. When, when the things collapse around you, you know, when things aren't going the way that you want to and you're no longer in control, God says, take heart. Take courage. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm offering it to you. But you've got to know why he's offering it and, and what it really is, what it is that, that brings that courage that you're able to take. So one of the points is that Our circumstances and problems steal our courage. Our circumstances, our problems steal our our resolve. They steal our peace. For for some of us, when that happens, it looks like this. You, You get paralyzed. And you do nothing when your courage is lost. You just freeze up. All right? For some of us, you get into a fog and... And you can't make decisions very well. And you're still, you're not frozen. You're still moving. But it's just like, man, you just, it's kind of confusion. And just, it's like a fog. For some of us, you get angry. You get impatient with others. And you start doling it out to the people that are around, around you. Listen to me. Listen. Courage is not based upon you. We all want to be in control. And therefore... When we follow that worldview, I'm courageous as long as I've got everything under control. That is not a biblical worldview. Courage is not to be based upon you. Courage is not to be based upon how well your life is going at that point. That's idolatry. 
That's saying as long as, and you fill in the blank of what life is supposed to look like, and you know it's not going to be perfect, but you still have these ideals in your mind. And you're like, as long as it's within those parameters, I'll have courage. Courage is not to be based upon that. Courage is based upon the never-changing, ever-present Christ in your life. That is what brings courage. That's why he's saying take courage, because he hasn't stopped the storm yet. He's not saying take courage because the wind has stopped. He's saying take courage because here I am. Some of y'all got to be older like me to know this, but here I come to save the day. What's the rest? Mighty Mouse is on the way. That's right. People, they knew they could have courage because Mighty Mouse was on the way. How many of y'all, you have no idea what Mighty Mouse is? Come on, come on, all right. All right, well, definitely youth, all right. So, um, I'm just here to tell you, you know, it's, for me, it's Mighty Me. Or it's, again, it's whatever I put in that, parentheses of this is this is how it's supposed to look like and as long as it's there i'm okay and jesus is saying no that's idolatry don't look anywhere else except for in my eyes look in my eyes don't fear because i'm here i'm here with you if your courage has been stolen and it's and you stay there it's because your eyes are off christ Boy, I'm preaching today. I'm preaching to me. I mean, no, no really. <laughs> I mean, with the kind of dreams that I've got and the kind of things that I want to do, and, and then I'm like, God, I can't make it happen. Come on. We got we to move faster. We need, we need more critical mass here, Lord. And my courage is based on me and what I can do. And Jesus is saying, Dave, quit. Quit that. Don't look in the mirror for your courage. and Don't look down at your feet for courage. Don't look around you for courage. Look in my eyes, because here I am. Jesus sent them on a mission which included difficult winds. It's risky. To follow the life Christ wants for you is risky. It's difficult. It's not easy. It is not comfortable. But it is why you've been made. He's made you for the difficult task. But the winds will beat you and try to take your focus off the eyes of Christ. And I, man, my eyes come off him way too much. Way too much. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that, That he loves this disciple just like he did those. And instead of bypassing me, and I'm not talking about salvifically like we're talking a minute minute ago, salvation of bypassing, I'm grateful that even now, this dumb disciple, when I take my eyes off of him, he still shows up, he doesn't pass me by. And he says, don't fear, here I am. Here I am. He says that to you, even right now. Don't be afraid. Take heart. Take courage. Here I am. Why shouldn't we fear? We've said it already. 
I said it before in past sermons that if God is all-powerful and if God is close and if God loves you, (laughs) there's a place for courage. If God's all-powerful and He's close but He doesn't love you, man, I ain't going to be courageous about anything. I'm just going to try to try to dodge the sole of his foot before he stomps me out. But if he's all-powerful and he's close and he loves me, there's courage. Because that courage isn't based on me. It's not courage. It's not based upon where I'm at. This connects so well with Advent, you guys, and the Christmas season. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now this was, this verse was quoted by an angel. I mean, anybody in the last, last month had an angel quote a verse to him? Raise your hand and come take my place. (laughs) Um, No, no. But it was quoted to Joseph when he found out that his fiance was pregnant. And the angel came and said, said the, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. She'll call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I mean, don't expect, guys, that being a Christian leads to less brokenness in this life. It doesn't. Rather, expect that being in brokenness leads you to Christ. Did you catch that? Don't expect that being a Christian leads to less brokenness in life. Rather, expect that being in brokenness leads you to Christ. Just take your eyes off the brokenness. Take your eyes off the mirror and where you're at and put them in the eyes of Christ. The greatest news of all, Emmanuel, that God is with us. He's with us in the storms. He's with us when we don't understand Him like these guys didn't. He's with us when we don't understand Him. Well, we do understand it, but we don't like what he's doing. He's with us when things are exciting. He's with us when we sin. He's with us when we worship. God is with us. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not believe the lies. God is with us. Y'all say, God is with us. Look at the person next to you. Say, God is with you. Now say, God is with me. Peter's story is not given here, but Matthew included Peter walking on the water. Uh, Peter's, uh, Peter's testimony there, what, what took place there. It's interesting for whatever reason that, that Mark didn't put that in. But uh, um, one more reason why you should know that um, there's reliability with scriptures. And reliability doesn't mean you have to sa- have the sa- exact same data set in two different places. For instance... Um, you know, Danielle and I went on a, a date the other night. And a friend said, you know, um, hey, Dave, what you guys do on your date? Oh, a uh, dinner movie. And uh, Daniel, somebody, a friend asked Daniel, what would you do? Oh, listen, first of all, um, he opened the door for me. And then we, then we, we, got, we drove and, and uh, he'd already bought the tickets. And, and we went and saw the movie that I liked, not the movie he wanted to see. And just, it goes on, right? Right? Okay. The data sets were not even close, all right? Um, it's okay. It's the same story, um, same, the same e- events 
Um, but maybe you get a little more events over here and a little more events over here, and it's okay. I just want you all to know that it's okay that Mark didn't put Peter's story. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, he didn't. Verse 51. He got in the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand, you guys. Um, There is a progressive revelation that takes place among the people of God, among history, church history and even beyond before. I mean, there's just things that God has progressively revealed um, that don't, we're not talking about things beyond the Bible. We're not talking about you going to um, Mr. Smith, Joseph Smith's accounts of what happened after the Bible. But there's, there's just, they understood more and more as they moved on. There's also progressive revelation that takes place in each Christian. I was with a, a group, about 12 or 15 of us last week, um, after, after uh, Andy Hines spoke, and we grabbed some lunch and uh, just talking, talking about some things. During that time, Judy Webb, um, if you don't know her, she's the head of uh, women's discipleship here, and she made a great statement, and I'll kind of summarize. Um, she's talking about how Jesus fed the 5,000 once and then fed 4,000 another time, and how, and it's, we, we already saw it here, um, that the disciples didn't understand, and so he did it again. He did it again. And, and really, the point she was making and what we kind of were processing through was that Jesus is patient. He's so patient with me, and he's so patient with you. And, and we have aha moments that take place when, we, when we're going through something in life or we're looking at something in Scripture. You have a huge aha moment. And then later on, it could be years, years later, we come back, come back to it, revisit the same scenario, and you have another quantum leap in understanding and growth. God is patient. Or, what's more in my life, where God will give an opportunity for me to learn, and I don't learn. I miss it altogether. So God gives another scenario to teach me. He is patient. I'm so grateful. And so I mean, even there, I mean, he shows, the, it's like, you know what, guys? Okay, y'all didn't get it. I've exp- explained it to you. Let's do it again and see where you guys are at with that. Um, he's so very patient with us. He gives many opportunities to grow. May Jesus be praised for it. They didn't understand. They didn't understand that Jesus fed the people of Israel manna every day while they were in the desert. They didn't understand that the point was that he was the bread of life. That we need, we need Christ and they need Christ more than our next meal or our next breath. They didn't understand that he used an average person, a kid. Took what was in his hand. And the kingdom of God exploded on the scene. Don't miss that, y'all. We can, more often than not, it's not about Christians that are just so high and mighty and they just think they hung the moon as it is the flip side of that of Christians that are just so self-deprecating in a, in a bad way and it's like God could never use me. He can. He intends to. And he'll use right what he used exactly what he put in your hands. And the kingdom of God will explode around you. Believe it. Believe it.
It's what He wants to do through you guys. He wants to use what He put in your hand and do the miraculous with the average. No. I've, I've really just come to a conclusion that I'm just, I'm here to give hope to the average guy. If God can use me, He can use anybody. That I'm just average Joe among all the rest of you average Joes. And God can use every one of us for His glory. But at least at this point in the disciples' journey, they didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. And uh, this really the, the, what it really means here, it says it was that their minds were closed. Um, sometimes our hearts get hardened because of what happens to us. Sometimes our hearts get hardened, our mind gets closed because of the dumb action that we took. In this case, it wasn't either one of those necessarily. It's just they were mad at God. They're mad at Him. They're mad at Jesus. Now note what's revealed. They didn't understand and their hearts, their hearts were hardened. So again, when we focus on it's got to be about me, and I'm in control. And, or even the control may not even be about uh, I've got control over the situation. Sometimes the control is I better know, I better understand it all. I better understand why my mom got cancer. I better understand why this took place and this took place. It's just another control mechanism. It's just not over people. It's over information or understanding. Guys, we need to let that go. Say, God, I trust you. I trust you with us. It's my, I don't want an idol out of understanding. I don't want an idol out of control. God, may you be the only thing that I, that I worship. Now, at this point, these guys, they, they get over to Gennesaret. Verse 53. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard that he was. Guys, Jesus, is, he is so awesome. He is, he is awesome. Even when he was worn out, as the God-man, he's not worn out now. But I mean, in his body, when he's worn out, he cared. He cared. Everybody look at me for just a second. You are not a burden to God. You are not a burden to God. Your stuff is not too big. Your case is not lost. Your sin is not too huge. You're not a burden to God. God loves you. God loves you so much. Your trouble or your problem is not the straw that breaks the Savior's back. He cares. One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Peter 5, 6-7. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. Then it says, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Now, do you, you see that? You see how it's not just about saying, I want to cast my cares on, on Him, it starts with humbling ourselves. It starts with giving up the, 
It's all right, God, I, I don't have to be in control. I'm letting go of the control. Or, God, I'm, I'm letting go of the, the thoughts that I've got to have it all figured out. I'm letting go of all of that. I humble myself before you. I know you care about me. And so, Lord, I place all my cares, all my anxieties, all my worries upon him. God loves you. There is no greater news than that. God loves you. Well, the greatest, greater news than that is God loves us. So it's, not, so it's not just about the individual. But there's no greater news than God's love that He has for us. God loves you right now. Right now. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and cast all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. I want to stop for just a second. I want you all just to close your eyes. Just so that you focus, all right? And I want you to, just want you to kind of just think through what, what, are your, what are your big cares? What are the big issues in your life? What are the anxieties? What are the worries that you have? What are they? Think of one or more. So we'll pause for just a second. Now, humble yourself before God and say, God, take these. Take these, Lord. I cast them upon you. And y'all, just, y'all go ahead and open your eyes if you desire. Um, but what's interesting about that even is casting. I mean, it's not just, it's not just saying lay, but it's almost just like, man, we, we throw... <laughs> We throw them. It's like, take it. There's this, there's this like an emotional reaction. It's just like, take it, Lord Jesus. Take it. It's no longer upon me. It's the last little section of Scripture. 56. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as, as touched it, were made well. I mean, here's my the final point I think in here is Jesus stayed on mission. He stayed on task. He, even if he had to bypass him, which he did at this point, but I mean, he stayed on mission, and he used disciples that continually failed. Did you hear that? Continually. That is a great place to end this story. I have so much hope when I read about these guys. They're doofuses. And man, David could have been right in there, except for I I don't think, I mean, I couldn't have been one of the 12. I wouldn't have been that faithful. But man, I'm so encouraged when I see God's love. Not so encouraged about their failure. That's not what I mean. But I'm encouraged by God's faithfulness to them. There's hope, guys. When we fail, God does not. When we bail, God does not. When we refocus on Him, He uses us for His glory and our good. So, if you've been weighted down by the whole thing, if you just don't have it all together, and man, if I was just smarter, if I just knew more of the Bible, if I was just more faithful, let all that go. Jesus was perfect for you. He died for your sins. 
He paid for all of them. And that took you kind of from negative to neutral, but it doesn't stop there. Through the resurrection power and the Holy Spirit that's within you, he says, now, watch what I do in you next. And he presses us into action. He presses us into community. He presses us into mission. He doesn't want us just to say, I've been forgiven, now I can sit down. He wants to say, I've been forgiven, it's not all on my shoulders, it was all on Jesus' shoulders, now I'm thrust forward. And I can go and I can succeed and I can go and I can fail. But I press forward with it. Here's just a couple final takeaways I want to give to you. Some of you need to go to the mountain with Jesus. You need to schedule it. You need to study even what, what does the discipline of prayer, what's the discipline of solitude look like. You need direction from the Lord. You need to go and get alone with God. Some of you need to confess that God's mission is not dependent upon your perfection, but that Jesus' perfection prepares you for God's mission and thrusts you forward. Don't be distracted by your failures. Confess that you're immersed by grace. Trust Jesus and get back into mission. I'm going to pray in just a second. And we'll take communion. When, when it comes time, and if you've never taken communion here, we, take, we come to the tables, we take bread, dip it in either wine or the grape juice. Um, and uh, either right there or alone, or you can go in a group and, and pray and, and, uh, and, and take, take communion. It's for, it's for Christians. If you're not a Christian, you would be declaring something that you're not uh, by doing that. So don't do that. But um, when you go, just go and just say, man, God, you still love me even when I fail. That I'm, just, I'm one of those disciples too. That when I mess up, you come to me you call my name and you say, it's me, I'm here, don't fear. Take me into mission with you. Let's pray. God, for any of my friends that, uh, that are unbelievers that may be here, God, may this be the point in which they just say, that's it, white flag, I surrender. That they hear your voice, call, and they respond to you, God. For us as Christians, Lord, may we just know that you're a God of transformation. You're a God of revelation of transformation. So reveal, reveal what we need to know today of of what lies we believe, um, reveal what we need to do next, and the issues that we have, and areas of lack of faith, and then show us, Lord, what, uh, what we need to do to, to be on mission with you in community with others, God. Bless us. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. The tables are open when you guys are ready.